as you just heard read, Nicodemus and Jesus, two sons of Abraham, encounter one another today. Abraham, or Abram, as in the reading we heard, who at an old age hears God calling him to leave his people and his place and venture off to some place unknown. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Show, that's all he gets. Basically, come see. The fulfillment of the promise of a heritage comes much later in the story. The invitation is to go or to come and see. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to John's disciples in the Gospels as well. We see the story throughout the Bible, going from and to the place of the voice of God or of relationship with God. We began in the Garden of Eden, made of God, meeting God in the cool of the evening, it says, to the very end, to the singing throngs at the throne of God at the end of time in Revelation. And every one of these relationships is a journey of a complex people, a lot like us. So Abram leaves Ur, which is in, today in, a, in Iraq, the literal place called Ur you can find archeologically. It is historically a powerful and wealthy city, a sophisticated ancient city with systems to move water and drains and sewers and a government. Abraham basically leaves the big city in his father's house to wander God only knows where. And we get very few other details. And because there are not many other details, it can contain everything, every story that is to come in that text, including our own stories. Was it like the prodigal son? Was Abraham that one? What was what he was doing considered reckless? Did they worry how the old people would take care of themselves without him? Did he take with him the wealth they needed? Or was it hard to be in Ur back then? Had they been there long? Was the city failing? Was violence everywhere? Did the old people remember better times? Were the young restless for a better way? Did it make sense to everyone that he was packing up and leaving? Would they have left as well if they could? Was the water drying up? The river moving? The soil not as productive as it used to be? Was another part of Mesopotamia putting ads in the paper for rich, loamy soil and not a neighbor in sight? Did everyone talk about the fabulous life over in Egypt? Now, if you were a Palestinian, you could read this passage to say, ah, they are not even from this place, they're Iraqis. If you are Israeli, you could read this to say how courageous our ancestor was. It contains every possibility by saying so little. And a good story of origin can do that. I've been reading James Cone's Said I Wasn't Gonna Tell Nobody, The Making of a Black Theologian, as part of what I'm trying to get through for Lent. Continuing last week's sermon's theme of removing the fig leaves, Cone in this book is tracing the trajectory of his entire career as a professor, and he was a professor of theology at Union Theological Seminary. He was, of course, as a young person, a brilliant student, at first struggling with the contradictions of his education in a small town in segregated Arkansas as a black child. He was the child of sharecroppers. And as economies like that are constructed, he was expected to be a sharecropper as well. 
It was important that he stay there, that they all stay there and live hand to mouth, trapped in debt. So he begins to tell his story, not from that moment, but from his time as a graduate student in somewhere in the Midwest in theology school. And if any of you have gone to graduate school, this will be familiar and maybe even any kind of school. Um, and also very particular to the black American experience of the 1960s. All of the theology he studied was not just white, which he might have expected, it was actually European. The great American theologians and biblical scholars of that generation, all of the Protestants, often had German accents in this country. Walter Brueggemann writes about growing up in a German-speaking home. He was a child of immigrants. There was a time in, in the United States when German could easily have inappropriately become our national language. There were so many people that spoke it. The world wars changed that. Cohn used to teach about this, that, that often what seems universal began as a particular, maybe even in resistance to some other overwhelming way of being, and then becomes solidified into the only way to be. So he used to teach it to encourage his own students to find their particularity, their story of hearing God in Ur, an invitation to remove a fig leaf in the classroom. He writes of his sense of masking up, of needing to put on the veneer of civility and agreement to not point out the gaps or failings of the old authorities so that he could get the degree he wanted to survive in the career path that he had chosen, at that time probably to teach theology at a historically black college. But the problem, he says, was that he was studying theology, as we used to say, the ology of God, right? The studying of God, the God who made him, and his neighbors in Arkansas, the people he loved and who loved him well, who he watched abused and humiliated daily. God who had called him loved them. And so he writes of when the mask fell and when he put it back on, and when a mentor or friend could see him through that mask. It's what we would call today liberation, and it is what was called, what became to be called liberation theology that he wrote. Jesus and Nicodemus come together today because these children of Abraham were truth seekers, liberation seekers. How can we become who we must be? Nicodemus wears the mask of le and leaves of a religious leader. He is trying to lead his people faithfully and safely. It is his responsibility to keep them in good relationship with their God and their heritage and the Romans who have conquered them and despised them. And he does it so that they will survive. But he comes to Jesus that night because Jesus has displayed his authority and power he makes wine of water. He speaks words of power. Nicodemus believes that God is with him. And so the sage Nicodemus goes out in the night, probably after a last evening meeting, to meet this man. Like all of those nights, our brother Abraham must have sat out under the night's blanket of stars and listened again for the voice of the one who had called him away. This theme shows up in the Bible regularly, some version of the child leaving their parents' house, some by choice, some forced, some by marriage, more than one like Abraham with an unlikely story that upends what must seem like the normal ways of life to all of us. So often it seems like a theme, a story of biblical family values to go out and make your way to follow that voice that calls you to be something other than what the people where you come from might think that you are supposed to be.
And Abraham, like his much later descendants, the newly freed children of Israel in the wilderness, takes a good long time to get to that promised land. Clearly, the journey is the point. Following the voice of God, ready to be born anew, maybe energized, maybe regretful, maybe homesick, making his way to somewhere. You can see why immigrants and displaced people so easily find themselves in the words of the Bible. Nicodemus and Jesus would have known this story well. They must have talked about Abram their whole lives in the synagogue, sung songs about it just like we do, maybe had dreams about it, maybe even wondered that if they listened closely enough, would they hear God calling them, still calling their people? And as if answering that question today, Jesus takes the externalized question of where do we go, what do we do, and reorients it deeply inside to say, born again, we must be born again. Born, not baptized, not believe different or better, not study, not pray, but born. When we prepare the elements for communion, you will see us pouring a little water into the wine, an old practice from a time of thick wine back in the day, and also a symbol of Christ's side, pierced at his crucifixion from which flowed blood and water, and you know that isn't what happens when you cut yourself. It invokes the flow of birth. Jesus, literally, in which we seek to be born again. Jesus, our mother, the saints have called her. As if to respond to, as Nicodemus incredulously asks, how would I squeeze myself back into or out of a womb? I am grown, Nicodemus says. But isn't it exactly what life is like? Just when you start to feel grown, swimming around in an environment you completely understand, you might have even mastered, you are at home. Something will come up from outside of you, right? Deep outside or deep within or sickness or crisis. It is the way of our lives. What had been home becomes too confining, not enough answers there, too limiting. Or the floor falls out from what had been true. Sometimes out of nowhere, something brings us to our knees, not sometimes, often, or turns our heads just a little towards something else, and we are beginning to be remade. Sometimes we feel it in our bodies, like pressure everywhere on your body. Your shoulders even literally clench up, maybe raise up and fold in, and it seems like the pressure won't stop until there is light again, and maybe you need a tug of your head to get you to see it, but then there it is, light, a brand new way to be, and the thrill of starting again. Is it not exactly what life is like? Born from above, over and over and over again, into a new sense of the depth of time, maybe of the generations before and beyond, maybe of your rootedness in the here and now in this place, also called life eternal. Jesus speaks this truth to Nicodemus today, and it is profound. If you cannot see what is of God in the world around you, to what we testify, to what we have seen in the real lives of us, how can I talk to you of spiritual things, Jesus says. We start here, Jesus tells Nicodemus. As a teacher in the community of Abraham's descendants, you must be born again, changed to be more than a subject of Rome, 
Change to be more than a descendant of an ancestor. Change to be a family of everyone who chooses to belong. That is the radical nature of Jesus' statement today. It is for everyone. Strangely, in this time in Christianity, some read these readings as exclusive, promising a particular future to Jews, a particular future to Christians. We can hear it as exclusive, but look closely at John. It says something else. It says, not by birth, not by someone else's vision for you, not by something you put on like a mask or clothing or leaves, but deep inside you like a birth by your decision to join up, to be with us, to follow Jesus. We too join the traveling company of people who love Jesus, especially when their lives will challenge us. It will feel like being born again to an even more open-hearted faith, closer to the heart of God, closer to the heart of people. Dr. Cohn says of meeting Howard Thurman, who was among many other things, Martin Luther King Jr.'s chaplain, um, he met him once and he says he sat in awe, which rarely happened to him, across, the great across from the great patriarch of black spirituality, who tells him, as a, he's a young man at the time, that he's doing a good job. Thurman says to Cohn, keep it up. People will tell you to stop, but don't. You have something to say. Cohn writes that it was a moment when his mask dropped. He wishes, he said, he had asked a lot more questions in that moment, but he was in awe. And I would add, maybe he was in awe because he had been seen for something he was not yet, but would become, and, and is, is today. Not hiding to survive, not an outspoken critic, but a guide for generations. So the gospel song, Said I Wasn't Gonna Tell Nobody, which is the title of his memoir, continues like this. Said I wasn't gonna tell nobody, but I couldn't keep it to myself, what the Lord has done for me. Let it be our song. In these harrowing times, let our John 3.16 be for liberation for all, not the chosenness of a few. Let us be the voices of a different way, inviting generations to come to freedom in Christ, fully informed by the realities of the world and the America that we live in right now. Maybe we can dream a world in which future generations do not need to flee what we have built to follow truly Jesus but by our invitation and our welcome, seekers of love and freedom and justice and peace might find their way to an all-embracing God who loves this creation so much that he sends himself packaged in vulnerability to be born again.